Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to Grape Top Church Online. Glad y'all could be a part with us today. Um, so today is Easter. Merry Easter to you guys. Merry Easter to all. Um, you know, when every every year now, I reflect on how for the majority of my life I didn't know what Easter meant and I remember the I told you all last uh, last week that the first time I found out what Easter really was supposed to represent was a year uh, into a ministry internship I was at and I just kind of put the pieces together like it was he is risen on the screen it was Easter and I was like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute I think I'm getting this he is risen. This must be when Jesus rose from the dead. And then I start thinking, well, what the hell does a bunny have to do with it? <laughs> and and it took me years to really figure out, to connect all the dots and to see where everything came from. And now I have a, a big passion about knowing why we do what we do. And that that leads us to our series of why did I do that? Why did I do that? And with with Easter being today... I want us to reflect on a big part of our faith. Why why did I do that? Why did I do that for Easter? Why did I why did I even uh, call myself a Christian? Why do I have my family? All these questions about understanding why. When we understand our why, it helps us to it helps us to stay committed to what we're doing. A lot of times we go through life with just a label and then when we ex- actually have a struggle or something that comes against that label and we don't understand the why the why is like the stickiness the glue that keeps it there and when we don't have that it causes our uh, whatever it is to crumble and it's very hard to keep that um, now today starting this series about why did I do that you know one of our core values is always know why you believe what you believe Always know why you do what you do. And I want us to focus on this word or label, hesitant. Hesitant. Hesitant means uh, to hesitate, right? <laughs> I hate when I find those definitions that just say the same word again. It's like, why Like, why are you here? <laughs> Who wrote this? And um, hesitant means to to stop before you do something. It means you have a doubt or fear of what you're about to do or what you're about to say. And a lot of us have a huge hesitation in our life. We have huge huge hesitations to our faith. We have huge hesitations to our relationships. We have hesitations in big areas. And I want us to look first at the idea that more than this life, more than this life. And Jesus raising from the dead fulfills our hope in eternity, not our worldly desires. In this point that we have, I want us to really focus this idea on having an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Let me read you all this verse. This is a verse, uh, these verses is what uh, Gravetop, the name of our church, stands on as far as our name goes. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 19, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you 
say that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we have testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Referencing martyrs, those who have been killed for their faith. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are all of all people most to be pitied. This verse is saying that everything in our faith is based off of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day that we're celebrating is supposed to be based off of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If anyone were to ask you, why would you call yourself a Christian? The answer is actually found in this verse, because I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then all of my faith is worthless. All of my hope is in vain. But if Jesus did raise from the dead, then everything he said was true and my sins have been forgiven and I have a new life in him and I have a hope in eternity. Everything is based on the resurrection. But notice this big part right here where it says, if we have hoped in Christ only in this life, only in this life that we can feel that we can experience, then we are the most to be pitied. Most to be pitied if our hope in Christ is only in this life. Now, I want us to take a step back and look at what has progressive Christianity taught us today. In our culture, what has modern Christianity in the U.S. been? It has formed Jesus to only fulfill the hopes in this life. Jesus is to make my life better. From self-help, emotionalism, to declaration-based materialism, we have made Christ's resurrection only a tool to be used for this life only. For one's own benefit. Yet that is the very essence of what the scripture is saying would make us the most pitiful people in the world. That if we would use the resurrection of Jesus Christ only for our own personal gain, for this world, for a world that will fade away, for the things that will fade away. Does God care about our happiness? Of course. In fact, the Bible says that God wants you to be at peace. But when we, when we as churches manipulate Scripture and make it to where God's a vending machine, that Jesus is simply the key to this, this magical basement of whatever we want to declare in our life, we should receive. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been at a church where their, their preaching is about you being hopeful for a new car, about starting a new business, about me, myself, and I. And we have conditioned our faith to be pitiful. It's no wonder why... Our faith is, is almost amusing to most of the world because they don't see the, any agony or suffering to our faith, but they see, I want to live a better life faith. Is it wrong to want to live a better life? No, of course not. 
Is it wrong to want to achieve something greater? No. But I hope y'all are getting the essence of what I'm saying, that our perspective as churches have, has become so worldly, where we, we only hope in this life, where, to the point where we forget about eternity completely. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I want us to have a moment where we reflect and see that there is more than this life. I mean, think about, there's scriptures where, where, where the Bible literally says, isn't the body more than food? <laughs> Can y'all, y'all understand the, the depth? that Food is a necessity. <laughs> in, in Ecclesiastes, it says that food is one of the only joys we have in this world. Everything else is vanity. <laughs> So, is, the Bible says that isn't your body more than food? And it's all in reference that there is so much more set up for us in eternity. But we can't get past the distractions of this world. So let's shift our perspective from a worldly one to an eternal one. When it comes to the worldly things that we desire in this world, it's not, it's not a sin or bad to want nice things. Heck, hey, hands up. I, I like nice things, okay? But we have to take a moment to reflect and realize that there's so much more than that. I feel like even with all of this, uh, the tax rebates that we've gotten labeled as stimulus checks, <laughs> It's so funny, right? Because it's like taxes, like that's the people's money. It's like, we're going to give y'all money. It's like, that's a rebate. <laughs> but everyone that has gotten this, like a, this surplus of a couple thousand dollars, a lot of people have gone from nothing in the bank account to a couple thousand bucks in the bank account for the first time in their lives. It, it's gone from, I, I can't get anything I want to where I've gotten the things that I want and now I'm bored with it and I realize that my life is still the same. It's like almost like a reflection of how, why so many people that, are, that become rich and wealthy end up becoming extremely depressed because there's a point where they realize that there's so much more to life than material things. That you can only want so many things before you get bored of everything. And that it, it is so much more than that. And we have something that is so special in Christ, but we've distracted ourselves by looking at the things of the world rather than the things of heaven. Y'all feel me? Y'all like, this is the worst Easter message ever. How are you going to start with that? <laughs> and so now I want us to focus on, I want us to focus on some people of, of scripture that are surrounded, surrounding this, this part of Jesus resurrecting. Those of y'all who may, may be a little fuzzy with the story, Jesus died on the cross, was laid in a tomb, and on the third day, the tomb, the, the stone in front of the tomb was rolled away, and Jesus rose from the dead. And Mary Magdalene was there and went to go tell the disciples that the tomb is open, Jesus isn't there, an angel told me that he rose from the dead. And this is where we pick up. And, and before we read the verse, we often wait at the door of something great while others step boldly in. We often wait and hesitate at the door of something great while others step boldly in. 
Some of y'all just thought of an old relationship like I knew I should have asked them out. <laughs> the verse starts out in John chapter 20, and it's starting in verse 4, going to verse 8. It says, this is John and Peter. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. John's flexing right now. He's the one that wrote this story. And he came to the tomb first. He stooped to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. However, he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him, and he entered the tomb. And he looked at the linen wrappings, wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded, folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered in, and he saw and believed. What we see here is John got there first, yet he stopped in front of the tomb. Peter got there after John, both running as fast as they could. But when he got there, he didn't even look in first. He just went in. And I want us to take a moment to understand why did John stay at the tomb door, the opening? The door, like is the open door. Why did he stay at the opening while Peter just went right in? There's several possibilities that could explain of why John didn't go in. One of the most uh, possible ideas is, uh, is, uh, is a cultural tradition for Jewish people. It would make them unclean to be in the same room as a dead person. And so, John, and this is also a time of Passover, like you don't want to become unclean at Passover because then you couldn't participate in any of the festivities of the Jewish culture. You would have to wait. And so, here John is, is logically thinking of why he should hesitate. Have you ever felt like you should do something and you talked yourself out of it? I bet everything inside of John was yelling at him to go inside that tomb. But his hesitation that was caused by his thinking talked himself out of it and he waited. And he waited. And he waited. Another explanation is that he was just trying to be polite, respectful. I mean, it's not very common that you just go like storming into a, a, a graveyard, right? <laughs> I mean, like, the idea of just barging into an open tomb is not very polite. It's like, it's almost weird. Like, whoa, well, like, we got to be respectful around here. The, see, all that would be a good explanation. And I feel like when we, when we find those polite reasons of why we didn't do something, what it really is, it boils down to being afraid to confront of what's inside. I think almost every person has a fear of confrontation to some degree. There's a fear of confrontation with inside of us to where, uh, to where even just having a sales job, salespeople have, uh, are looked at as the most highest paid uh, workers in, in uh, workplace industries. They get paid the most, not because they're extremely educated, not even because they have special skills, but because they're willing to confront people to buy something. <laughs> something that 
that if you've ever had to do sales before, especially if you've had a door knock, I remember being a door knocker, hate that job, never want to go back. <laughs> there was a not, even no matter how confident I became as a door knocker, every single door I would knock, I had overwhelming anxiety of what I was about to confront. And what I remember every time I would see like a no soliciting sign or if I saw any anything that that gave any imagery of where it would be impolite, like, oh, well, I shouldn't go then. I shouldn't knock out that door because it would give me the, the label of being polite gave me a reason not to confront them. And so many times we're still waiting because we're being polite when really we're afraid to confront. We're afraid to face what is inside. There's probably so many young guys thinking like, I, I need to ask her out now. <laughs> I got to ask her out. Being afraid of rejection. And when I think about what was inside for John, what was he really afraid of confronting? It caused him to stay at a distance from possibility of what could be because he was too afraid of what he was going to be stepping into. I mean, think about the idea of stepping into the past. He's going to have a moment where if Jesus' body was there, he was going to reflect on everything that had just happened. All of the pain he just experienced, all the tears, all the hurt. He was going to relive that moment. He was going to step in, or he was going to step into confusion. The body not being there, like, what happened? Did someone steal the body of my loved one? All those confusing thoughts. Really stepping into just not knowing what to do. I mean, how many times have we hesitated and continued to wait because we knew that we didn't know what to do? And so we just avoided it altogether. Still waiting. See, while John was still waiting, making a logical reasoning of not to go in, not to step in. Peter didn't even think about it. It was like Peter was almost dumb, just like didn't even look and just stepped right in. And what it shows is that Peter was desperate. He was more desperate than John was. Peter just denied Jesus three times, and he just wanted the chance, the possibility to see Jesus again so that he could just face the person that gave him so much, and he wanted to give a type of gratitude. He wanted to make up for what he did. He had all these reasons built up inside of his soul of why he wanted to see Jesus again. And he's willing to just step right in because if there was a chance, he was willing to take it. If there was a 1% chance, he was going to step in. He threw all logic, all, all risk, all rational thought out the window in pursuit of his Savior. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Passion. And we have warped passion into emotionalism within our churches. Our emotions have, have just stopped us from real intimacy and has put this, this fog that seems like intimacy, but we never really grow closer to Christ in that kind of emotionalism that's taught in churches. Real intimacy with Christ is when we step in like these moments and simply get closer to God, no matter what it looks like. 
Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so I want you to ask yourself, whatever your door is, why are you still waiting? What is it that you know right now as we're talking about this, it's like just repeating in your head. What is it that is keeping you at the door? Why are you not stop stepping in to where God is calling you deeper? You know, to share a transparent moment for, for me, last night um, before going to bed, me and my wife, we, we have like a regular prayer routine to where we usually pray in the mornings with our kids. And, you know, we have like moments throughout the day and stuff, but usually when it's bedtime, we're all exhausted and we get so routine to try to just deal with three under three. And I just felt like this burden on my shoulders, a burden on my heart. And we we're about to go to bed. And I said, Lauren, can you come pray with me? And we, we got on our knees and we prayed. And right in that moment, I reflected back to a moment when we were still dating. And we, we got on our knees and prayed at a couch just like we did. And I started praying. And I, I was, it felt like the first time that I prayed intimately with God and not just out of routine. Routines are good. It's discipline. And that's great. But there's a moment where I felt just intimacy to where none of the words were planned. None of them. It was just like a, this heart connection with God. And I started just, just weeping with God as we were praying. And I was just recollecting the past years. And I felt like so much time had gone by where God has turned things around, answered prayers, just done great things and things that, that truly deserved to cry. And yet I hadn't cried for those, those miracles, those moments, those answered prayers. And it was like all this built up need for intimacy, all connecting at a moment. And it was, it was a place where I was able to just go deeper with God in that moment. And when I, right before I got down on my knees to pray like that, I felt the hesitation. And I had already finished the message too, right? <laughs> so I wasn't just like, let me practice this message, or I didn't make it right after that time. But I felt this hesitation of just to continue go through the motions. No, it's already late, we should just go to bed. We need to get ready for tomorrow, we need to be rested. And I started to logically rational, make a rational thought of why I should skip this, this feeling, this need to go and pray on my knees like I did. Logically talking myself out of doing something so simple. And I want us to, that's what I want us to answer right now is, is it really worth the logical thought? Is it really worth the rational thoughts? When you just feel this tug to pray, to do something. And like God is just calling you. And when you start making sense of it, why is it that we always talk ourselves out of it? And so I'm urging you, why are you still waiting? But step into this deeper place God is calling you because the places of God's rest is so much greater than the places of our escape. Y'all feel me? 
So now let's go into this last point and it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Where we're going, throw yourself. We're going to continue where this sort in John, but I want us to look at this and say, throw yourself into whatever God is calling you to do without looking back. Throw yourself into whatever God is calling you to do without looking back. I really like this part of the story, so let's read. It's now been a couple days since Jesus rose from the dead. He, he reintroduces himself as a resur resurrected king to Paul, uh, to um, John and Peter and the disciples. And now it's just been several days and they're just waiting. And Peter picks up right here, says, After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Just real quick, notice that says that he revealed himself in this way. It's a unique way. So every time that God reveals yourself, it, it doesn't reveals himself to you. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same way that he revealed himself to you a couple years ago. It, he develops the way that he reveals yourself. It changes. It's unique every single time. And so don't always expect for God to show up in the same way. Be ready to look on the lookout for him in a new way. Revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are also coming with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Before we go on, what I see in this story is Peter is almost entering a, a depression-like state. He has not been able to have a one-on-one -on -one moment with Jesus after he's rose from the dead. And the last that he left on Jesus was denying him three times. He feels all this guilt, all of this shame, and here he's weighed they're all the disciples are just in this waiting period they don't know what to do yet jesus hasn't given them uh like a the holy spirit yet they don't have clear direction and so they're just waiting like a lot of us feel like we're in our point of life just waiting for god to do something we're we feel like we answered what we did what we we're supposed to did and now we're waiting and in this moment where Peter goes and says, I'm going to go fishing, he's trying to find, he's going back to the thing that he used to do when Jesus first called him. He's doing what I just said. He's going back to the place to, uh, where he first met Jesus. He's going back to his hobby and he's just going, uh, he's trying to clear his head and his friends are worried about him. That's why they said, we'll go with you. We don't want you to be alone. And in this moment, they're all out fishing and, and then Jesus stood on the beach, and the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus yet. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find the fish. So they cast it. And then they were not able to haul in it in because the, of the great quantity of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, 
and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits away, which is about 100 yards, football field away from shore, dragging the net full of fish. This is an incredible imagery that we have here. Remember, we're, we're seeing Peter as super desperate to find God right now. And even though he went back trying to find Jesus in this old way, Jesus still showed up. It just goes to show that when we're looking for him, we will find him. And it says that he threw himself into the water to, find, to, to swim to Jesus, while the others are like, well, we just got all this fish. And so they keep the hull and row in the boat slowly. They couldn't even, they had so many fish that they couldn't even pull it into the, out of the water. And so they're rowing slowly back to shore, holding on to the things of this world, while Peter literally left everything behind, threw himself blindly in so that he could have a moment with Jesus. Now, it's, I feel like the, for the first time when I was preparing this message, I, I had forgot that this is not Peter's first time on the water. The last time that we see Peter on the water, he was drowning and calling out for Jesus to save him. Mind you, there's a storm going on, yeah. But it said it was when he was walking out on the water and started to sink and he was afraid of drowning. I want us to take a moment for the possibility that perhaps Peter was not a great swimmer before this point. Uh, the first thought he had was, I'm going to drown the last time he was on the water. This time, he throws himself, before he asks Jesus, cause me to stand on the water with you. Just polite, just like, I'm willing to step out in faith and I'll walk to you. Here, he doesn't even ask Jesus to do the same thing again. He just throws himself, not thinking, and throws himself into the water to get to Jesus. And a hundred yards... Swimming, I don't know if you guys have ever swam 100 yards before, but that's not that easy. I, I remember in our old town, Del Rio, there's a lake that a lot of, a lot of people would go swimming at, go fishing at, and they had cliffs that you could jump into the water. Real fun. And there's always, like when you're younger, there's always a point where it's like, oh, let's swim to that little island over there. And it's like half a football field away. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. And you start swimming. I remember a time where I was like older. And I was like fit and in shape. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I can do this. And I started swimming. And all of a sudden, I was like, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> all of a sudden, it was like not even halfway. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you, you try to play it cool. Like, I'm not really drowning. Like, people are all swimming by. You okay? Yeah. And then you start going on your back and just kind of, <laughs> I'm just enjoying it over here. <laughs> and it was not even a hundred yards for Peter to jump in blindly, not even thinking about what's in the water. You ever think about that? <laughs> you just over open water to where you can't feel the floor and you just have a thought like, I wonder what else is in here. <laughs> He just jumps blindly in and starts swimming as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And 
it's a good thing that it was only 100 yards. Because <laughs> if it was 200, 300, 400, Peter wouldn't have thought about it at that moment. And he would have just jumped in and swam. And I want us to take a moment to look at all the times that we hesitate. All the times that we hesitate. All the times that we hesitate when we should be throwing ourselves in. The last time that Peter hesitated was when they questioned him if he was a follower of Jesus. He hesitated and then he thought about it and said, I don't know the man. They asked him again. He hesitated and he thought about it. They're going to kill me if I say that I was with them. They're going to put me in the same shackles he's in. It'd be better for me to be from here. That way I might be able to do something. Talked himself out of it. No, I don't know the man. By the third time, he didn't even have to think about it anymore. He's already conditioned himself to be distant from Jesus. All the hesitations that we have, all of our, our sinful nature really leads us to always condition ourselves away from Christ. Condition ourselves away from Him. And we'll just keep them in our back pocket for hell insurance whenever we're on our deathbed. But here we're seeing a realization for Peter where he realized all of his hesitations amounted to nothing. All of the, the logical reasoning that he made to keep, to, to keep him away from Christ meant nothing. And the, the thought, the possibility of getting close to Jesus in this moment was all that mattered. And he threw himself in. And so I want us to reflect. I want us to look at an eternal perspective. And I want us to have a moment where we take action in our lives with our faith. Because there's so much more than to this life. There's so much more than to anything this world can give us. And if we throw ourselves into Christ, we'll find it. You know, I, 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 I used to be ashamed of my testimony because of all the things I used to do. And I was a really sinful person. I was a really uh, mean person, violent person. I was a drug abuser. I was a, a people abuser. And when I found Christ, it was, it was truly a moment where I realized that everything I was looking for was in Him. Everything that I was really looking for was in Him. And once I found Him, I didn't need anything else. And I want you all to have a moment where you take off all hesitations, anything that's stopping you from, from getting closer to Him, and throw yourself into Him. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today, and maybe this message is just hitting your heart right now, and you're thinking about the times that you hesitated. You're thinking back to the moments where 
It was a something just simple, simple, simple. And you would have gotten closer to God, but you hesitated, overthought it, and you didn't do it. You didn't go. You didn't pray. You didn't read. You didn't do something because the hesitation talked you out of it. And right now, you just feel like God is just calling you and telling you to throw yourself into him. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. God, right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause your presence and your power to fall on these people here, especially the ones that just rose their hand. God, cause them to feel you right now. Let them know without a doubt that's not just goosebumps that they're feeling, but it's your presence just showering over them. That they, what they're feeling right now is you. And that you would affirm in their faith and their hope right now that they are truly in your hands. I pray that you affirm to them that they weren't as far as they thought they were from you but that you are simply calling them deeper. I want you to have your own conversation with God right now. Say whatever you got to say to him. Talk to him. And I want you to, to point your prayer to decisions, to actions, to some from this point forward conversations. The Bible says, in the book of Romans, that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, simply saying that if we talk to God and are genuine about it, then surely we shall be saved. And I believe that a lot of us doubt our salvation at times because we're not perfect. And for that scripture, it is so key to see that it doesn't require very much of us. It's if you believe in your heart and call Jesus your Lord, surely you shall be saved. We are imperfect people. We're all on different paths, all on different journeys. We're trying. And God sees that. And you need to know right now that when he rose from the dead, when he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the world's sins, when he rose from the dead, that he made a covenant with you. When you made, when you made him your Lord, your Savior, he made a covenant with you and you agreed to it. And he doesn't just flippantly leave that covenant with you. You don't make a mistake and all of a sudden Jesus throws up his hands and says, whatever. Forget them. No, he holds on tighter to you than you could hold on tighter to him. He does not just forsake you. He does not abandon you. In fact, the Bible says that even when we are unfaithful, he is still faithful. 
And I believe that for a lot of us, we're having these fresh commitments in our hearts being made. But also for a lot of us, God is just telling you, just continue doing your best and forget the rest. Stop doubting my love for you. Stop doubting your salvation. Your faith in me may feel like a small, small mustard seed, but that's all it takes. God, I pray that you confirm yourself and your people and that from this moment that you just cause a spiritual edification over us, that we would throw off hesitation and throw ourselves into you. I thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Right now in this point, I want us to, in the same kind of focus that we have, enter into a time of worship. And before we do, I'm going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.